0: All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we're back for another episode. And I did an episode earlier with Chip DeZard, And I said, this is a bit experimental in nature, kind of a new thing that we're trying, which is what I'm calling a snapshot interview. We normally have hour episodes. Uh, we're going to do maybe 15, 20 minute episodes here at WPPI 2019. And I'm here with a new friend of mine, Devin Roland. Thank you so much for making time for the podcast.
1: Hey, great to meet you. Thank you.
0: And we're going to, at just like, most of our episodes, we, we have a primary topic, kind of a focus of conversation. We're going to get to that here in just a second. But I'm wondering if you would just sum up very briefly. Actually, you know what? I'm, I'm going to jump in here. You said, what, did, what was the phrase that you used just a few minutes ago before we started recording? You said that you photograph, did you say weird people?
1: I did say I work with the weirdos. Not exclusively, but pretty heavily. I often have blue hair or pink hair or purple hair, so that also tends to draw them in.
0: Okay, so as we sit here, you do have blue hair, and it's it's a really fun blue, by the way. For those of you listening in, I have to kind of paint a picture. But when you say that you photograph the weirdos, what does that mean? And and tie that into kind of the summation of your business, what your brand is about.
1: My brand is a lot about personality-driven portraits and emotional candidates. And for me, I really like working with the weirdos because they have the personality and they want that to be a big part of their wedding and they want that to be documented. And so that may not be the photos that they see in every, you know, top 10 Instagram for weddings. And that's not what they want.
0: So this is a loaded topic, I know, and and we only have so much time, but what, how do you draw in that particular type of client? Is it, is it you just being you and, and people like you are attracted to you? Is that I mean is it as simple as that or what is that what does that look like? What does that process look like?
1: Honestly some of it is as simple as that and a lot of that is either people find me and they connect with something like oh hey I saw that you shot a wedding at this venue that I go to a lot or I saw that you have photos of fire spinners we spin fire and are gonna have fire breathers after our ceremony and we need someone who can photograph that or I've been swing dancing for 10 years and so I work a lot of swing dancing weddings because they want someone who can capture the dance floor because that's a huge part of who they are who they are individually and as a couple and not everyone knows how to do that
0: Okay. Swing dancing for 10 years. Now I've, I've wanted to take, in fact, I've I've taken two or three dance lessons, if you can even call them that. Um, definitely not swing dancing. That's something that like, how did you even get into that in the first place?
1: Well, I started playing saxophone when I was in school. And so the music is what drew me to it. Do you still play? I don't sadly enough. I, I let my saxophone go to a much better home where it gets used and loved instead of sitting sad and dejected in a corner. So it's in a better place.
0: I played clarinet actually all the way up into to college, but then I picked up soprano saxophone as well, and I miss playing it so badly. My son, who's 17 now, he's a junior in high school, um, is playing saxophone, and, and pretty seriously, he wants to do this kind of for the long term. And so I, I, in some ways, I guess kind of living vicariously through him, but it, it's such a beautiful instrument and a very wide-ranging instrument in what you can play. You can go from jazz to rock to, set to, to classical, extremely versatile instrument as well. But you do miss it, you said?
1: Yeah, I actually gave it to a friend, so I know where it lives, and we kind of had the agreement that if I come to a point where I need it back, or if he's going to sell it, we'll talk to each other first. But there was one time where the first song that I really felt like I was amazing at playing saxophone uh, started playing in my Pandora Shuffle, and I was like, oh, maybe this was a mistake, maybe I need it back, but I just wasn't giving it the time, so... That's
0: fair. I, I have not played music a whole lot in the last 10, 15 years. There is, there is something, though, about a particular piece of music, like you are saying, that can trigger a memory or a feeling, and it draws you back in and you want to go play. I totally get that feeling. You mentioned to me earlier that you've been in business now for eight years full-time. Is that right? So from that experience, that those eight years, if you had a piece of advice that you were to give to somebody, if you had 15 seconds... To give someone a piece of advice from your experience, what you've learned over those eight years, what would that thing be?
1: Learn from others and do what feels right for you regardless.
0: So, Little Devil's Advocate, is that counterintuitive?
1: I don't think so. Um, I I spent, in the last two years, I've taken a lot of classes and done a lot of workshops um, from a really wide variety of people. And going from a Sam Hurd workshop to a Cliff Mountainer lighting boot camp, they're pretty diametrically opposed. Um and there's something that you can learn from everyone in all those different situations. And you can pick up one thing and then another and meld them together and get some really cool things. And I think that's how we make a lot of the unique parts of our art. And I think that works for business, too.
0: That makes sense. So, so you're not talking about hearing what they're saying, ignoring it and doing what you want. Anyway, you're talking about taking bits and pieces from different people and, and making then turning that into a kind of a, a unique composition of itself.
1: I think ideally, but there's definitely some things where I think there's value to listening to it and examining whether it applies and then rejecting it if it doesn't.
0: We talk a lot in the podcast about this idea of a a big picture view, um, kind of overarching long-term goals that drive everything that we do that kind of act as a filter, basically. And so I like this notion that you described, which is I look at the thing, does this fit my in the context of the conversation, my long-term goals, the business model that I've created, what I'm trying to accomplish as an artist, as a business owner, the target clients that I'm going after, does it, does it fit in that or does it not? And those things can act as a filter to get rid of what's not applicable. So I, I like that notion. I think that's really, really great. What is one piece of, we were actually talking about camera gear before we started here, but what's one piece of camera gear these days that you just can't live without?
1: I'm still discovering the new things. Uh, so what we were saying earlier is that I just switched to Sony from Nikon a couple months ago. And so it's gone through two weddings with me and has been phenomenal. But I'm still finding the thing I love. Uh, currently, I think the, the Sony 90 millimeter 2.8 macro lens, which is not something that I would have expected. But uh, I took it traveling recently, and it's been really interesting to explore cities and travel photos in macro or at that focal length instead of something more traditional like a 35 or a 50
0: So when I think about exploring cities, I'm thinking about these big expansive scenes, right? So what does it mean to explore a city with a macro lens?
1: I just did this in Charlottesville actually recently. And I was taking pictures of stickers that were tagged on signs. Or a lot of the buildings in historic Charlottesville have brick or carved stone or that kind of thing. So like little parts of those. And so I I haven't done it too extensively yet. And I haven't done it in Vegas, though I probably will tonight. So I think it could be an interesting way to see the differences in cities on a very different scale than you usually look at.
0: I love that. Speaking of, I mean, you, you obviously like to do things differently. And that is a different approach that you don't see a lot of photographers taking. So I love that perspective. We were talking about what we might chat about during a, a little mini interview like this, this podcast interview. Uh, and you mentioned the significance of community in your life right now that you've been thinking through this. Um, That's kind of a broad statement, so I want you to maybe kind of break it down for us a little bit. What about community have you been thinking about? And maybe even before that, what does community mean to you and your business? What's your experience been with it?
1: My business is entirely built on community. And for me, community is the people who... I invest in support and who invest in support in me. It has been swing dancers. It has been fire performers. It has been people who are involved in the SCA, which is the Society for Creative Anachronism. I'm showing my geek colors right here. Um, And so those are the people who started hiring me, who started asking me to come do things, who basically helped me build my business. I have 13 weddings this year that are booked through people I know or who are directly related through people I know. Or I've had weddings where someone was like, oh, you shot my fire performance troupe. And I want you to do my wedding now, that kind of thing. And so I know there's the don't shoot for free, don't shoot for free, don't shoot for free. And that is great advice. Artists should get paid. But I think there's a point where if you're shooting for something that you love and that is of value to you and that you enjoy doing, and I think enjoying it is the big part of it as well as learning from it, I think that is worthwhile to a person. I think that is worthwhile to building that community that will help support you.
0: And what is the line between deciding when you can shoot for free and then when you say, all right, it's about time I actually charge something here and make some money from this. Is there a distinct line? What does it look like for you?
1: I think in if we're talking professional where you start charging for the first time, I think there's a... of how much you're putting into it and the quality of your outcome. If you can't reliably produce a portrait, you shouldn't be charging for portraits. But once you can create something decent, you charge a little bit and then you charge more as you get better and that kind of thing. For me, when I'm shooting for free, it's when I am offering to shoot for free or when I am shooting for free because I want to be taking the photos. I think the day I'll be done in photography is when I am only picking up a camera to get paid because I think there are better ways to make money that don't make you lose interest in the art that you loved at one point.
0: I would agree. And I brought this up in the podcast before. One of my favorite things um, as a photographer, because I, th- I think I would tend to label myself a business owner more so than a photographer. I shot weddings for over 10 years, uh, but more so from the standpoint of a, of a business owner. But one of the things that I enjoyed most photographically was picking up, I have a, a twin lens Yashica medium format camera, and everything is completely manual. Sit it on, on a tripod or hand, hold it. And, but you have to actually think through the process, right, where it's not just automatic and hold a button down and you get 15 frames. Um, you have to think through the process. And, and that there's something very meditative about it and relaxing about it and ultimately enjoyable about it because you're thinking about the craft that you're involved in. I like making it a priority ultimately to explore the craft in a way that goes beyond just simply how can I most effectively make some money. That's important in and of itself. But stretching your creativity a little bit here and there is really great. We used to do something um, for our wedding clients, which was, we had, had a Russian panoramic camera. It was a 35 millimeter panoramic camera. And I would create a portrait for the couple on their wedding day as part of their, their package. Something unique that we could give to them. But that forced me to look at taking a portrait in a, in a way that I wouldn't normally have the opportunity to through my DSLR.
1: Definitely. One of the things that I'm hoping to start incorporating more in my wedding work uh, now that I'm on Sony is using the lens baby. Lens baby was one of the first kind of weird, cheap, gimmicky things that I bought when I started shooting. I think I've had lens babies in my system for seven or eight years too, actually. But my my eyesight just sucks to do that, so I can't manually focus them well enough. And so the focus peaking in the Sony is good enough that I can start using it, and I've started playing with it and more of those. Fun free shoots that are more for me than for other people. Um, And so I'm starting to bring them into weddings a little bit more now that I can trust that I'm going to have something usable out of it.
0: That's cool. I wouldn't have thought about that, that that additional benefit. I mean, the focus peaking has its obvious benefits just shooting with any regular lens, but the fact that you can now use this tool more effectively. I wonder if that's something that the marketing team over at Lensbaby has even thought about too. I think encouraging, encouraging that. Back to community, you were talking about the significance of relationships. And I wonder, for me, this is something I think about maybe just because I'm too analytical, but When I think about relationships for the sake of business, I wonder what the line is between going into a relationship, whether it's a new relationship or continuing to maintain a relationship. Am I doing it? Is the motivation business? Is the motivation personal? And then it just, the the benefit happens to be there for business. Do you approach relationships in different ways, depending on the situation? What does that look like?
1: I think saying that I don't approach relationships differently isn't fair because I grew up with both of my parents working in marketing at pretty high levels. I am very aware of who you're talking to, when you're talking to them, what that matters. Um, If you go to a certain thing and how that will influence your career and all that kind of um, superfluous stuff. I don't have the patience for the, I'm going to talk to someone because they're important and it will be useful for me. I don't have the desire to fake a friendship and i mean we're wedding photographers we don't have a lot of weekends it's not worth me spending a saturday with someone i don't enjoy on the hope that at some point they'll be worthwhile for money so i i like working with people i want to spend 10 of the most stressful hours of their life with and uh i like keeping it very genuine and try to
0: something i was thinking about earlier as you were you were talking about relationships is the capacity to go deep in a relationship. So I'm very much like you. I don't like, uh, as you said, super, you very kindly said super, superfluous uh, relationships or or maybe even conversations specifically. I don't really have a lot of time for that either. There's a, there's a funny tendency at at WPPI. um, There are thousands of photographers here and the, the common conversation goes something like, when did you get in? Uh, how's your business been? And the typ- typical answer, it, I've been busy. You know, and and that's kind of where the conversation ends. And and there are various reasons for that. But the the desire to go deeper for me is very very strong, and it seems the same for you. How do you manage doing uh, going deeper with as many relationships as possible, while also not kind of getting burnt out in the process? Like how many how many close relationships can you actually juggle? in that process because I, I want to connect with people even if I only have a, a 30 second conversation I want them to at least feel that I care about them as an individual and that I that I am interested in what they're saying but the reality is that as human beings we're only wired to be able to handle so many of those conversations and so many of those relationships so what does the balance look like for you?
1: A lot of it for me is very social media heavy, and I was talking to some folks earlier about this as well on the social media about how you you plan the post for the time with the right content and the right tags and the hashtags and all of that. And every so often I do that, and it doesn't really get a lot of engagement. And then I do something like, I, I recently ended a relationship of seven years, and I was having a really crappy day, and I was like, I feel terrible, and I was like, I'm going to put on a bunch of makeup and do a self-portrait session. And so I did that, and I posted that, and that got a lot of response. And I was very honest about, this is where I am, this is what happened. So I'm feeling people were, like, asking me about this. and people I was getting private messages. I'm getting people at WPPI who saw it who are coming up to me and, like, hey, you know, are you on Tinder and looking for people yet? Or, yeah, but um, <laughs> no being the answer, this sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah, so it's – I feel like if you're genuine with people, you will either get genuine responses or get genuine responses – and get some of the fake ones and be able to weed them out better. So WPPI has been interesting because there are certainly those conversations of like, oh, well, where are you based and how many weddings do you do? And sort of, are you worth talking to? Which is then also interesting to like be in the Nikon booth and be talking to some people and have Cliff Mountner come up and say, I love the Bad Advice Mondays posts that you do on Facebook and watch the differences in people's reactions when you have a Nikon ambassador who knows your name and wants to talk to you about a stupid Facebook thing you do.
0: I don't know. I, I wonder the idea of kind of drawing a line with some relationships and only it, I've, I've heard the argument made that we, that we only have so much capacity um, that individuals are only willing to go so deep because they have, you know, they have apprehensions about potentially opening up to somebody and how that, that information could get misused or whatever the case may be. I, I tend to play it, uh, the, the, lace, the less safe approach, I think, in many cases and just open up because what's the worst that happens in that case, you know? And most c- scenarios, even if that person only walks away feeling like I was genuinely interested in them and wanted to connect with them, I know that, and I, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, even just going to, like, going to the grocery store, somebody walks by and actually smiles at me and makes that effort to connect with me, how much a difference that makes in my life or at least in, in that day in my day. What if I could do that even on a small level, whether it's 10 seconds, 15 seconds or, you know, a 10 minute conversation? What if I could somehow invest in that person and make them feel even a fraction of how I just felt because somebody just smiled at me? It's, It's a pretty incredible thing to think of. And I think it's worth the investment and maybe the little bit of risk as well.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's a big part of why I really try to learn people's names, especially here. And the other focus has been learning to pronounce them correctly and make sure that's happening. Uh, My name is another one that is often Devon Rowland or some combination. This morning at Starbucks, I was Devin, I think. Um, I've never had the B-I combination, but it was cool. So it really is good to be genuine on a lot of different levels.
0: We've talked about this in the podcast as well before, but uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People is a really popular book. But in that book, he talks about the significance of someone's name. And the simplicity of that action, which can make somebody feel like you're paying attention to them, like you've noticed them. Uh, I struggle so much with remembering names. And I think part of that I can blame on myself just simply for at times not paying as much attention as I should. But there is something to remembering a name and being able to engage somebody on a personal level, which makes all the difference in the world. And I think that's a good piece of advice and something for us to take away from our conversation today. But just briefly, will you share with our listeners where they can follow you online and, and, and all the antics and that the funny Facebook posts, um, both social media and your website?
1: Yeah, um, my Facebook page and my Instagram are both Devin Roland Photography. D-E-V-O-N-R-O-W-L-A-N-D, and I hope you can spell photography. Um, and that is pretty much the best place, Facebook page and Instagram. Instagram stories. Instagram stories are becoming more of my weird spot on the internet for photo stuff, too, so check that out.
0: Perfect. Well, I can't wait to follow along, too. Thank you so much for making time for the of Podcast today, just kind of sharing your perspective about community.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much.